Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. This is a Story Hunter Productions podcast. This episode deals with graphic content and may not be suitable for all listeners. On the morning of November 17th, 1958, Olga Duncan failed to show up for her shift at St. Francis Hospital in Santa Barbara, California. The 30-year-old nurse had been working at the hospital since January when she had moved to California from Vancouver, British Columbia. Originally from Dauphin, Manitoba, Olga was recently married and expecting her first child in a few months. The young nurse who worked in acute care was extremely dependable, so when she didn't come to work or call, her co-workers became concerned. Had something happened to her or the baby? Adeline Curry, who was the chief surgical nurse at the hospital, decided to go to Olga's apartment on Garden Street to check on her. When Adeline arrived at Olga's tidy one-bedroom flat, she discovered the door to the apartment ajar. All the lights were on, and the bed covers had been turned back, but the bed had not been slept in, and there was no sign of Olga. Adeline contacted Olga's husband, Frank Duncan, a Santa Barbara lawyer. Olga and Frank had only been married five months, but Adeline had heard there were already troubles in the new marriage. Frank said he didn't know where Olga was and didn't seem too concerned that his pregnant wife was missing. Adeline feared the worst. Olga had confided in her that she had been threatened and harassed by another woman who was very jealous over her marriage to Frank. Now, Seven months pregnant with Frank's child, Olga was missing. Something was desperately wrong. Adeline went straight to the police station. I'm Catherine Fogarty, and in this podcast, I'm bringing you the true story of a bizarre love triangle that would ultimately end in murder. When a young woman recently married and expecting her first baby goes missing without a trace, the police turn to the most likely suspect, her new husband. 
and they quickly discover serious problems in the marriage. Turns out that the newlyweds aren't living together, and there is another woman in the picture. A woman who is so obsessed with the handsome Frank Duncan that she has threatened to harm his new wife on multiple occasions. She wants him all to herself, no matter what it takes. But the other woman isn't the married man's secret lover. It's his mother. This is A Mother's Love, The Murder of Olga Duncan. Santa Barbara, California, in 1958, was a wealthy coastal town famous for its colonial Spanish architecture and wide sandy beaches. Dubbed the American Riviera, it was a safe and respectable getaway for many fleeing the crime and grime of Los Angeles, 95 miles south. So when the police were notified that an attractive married nurse who was seven months pregnant had disappeared from her Garden Street apartment, they weren't initially concerned. They suspected a lover's quarrel between husband and wife and assumed the missing woman would turn up very soon. Discovering that the missing woman, Olga Duncan, was Canadian, the Santa Barbara police contacted her parents who lived in Bonito, Manitoba. Elias Kupizik, who was a section foreman on the Canadian Pacific Railroad, said that he and his wife Jessie had not heard from their daughter in a few weeks. But they advised the Santa Barbara police that Olga had written to them saying she feared for her safety. Olga told her parents that her new mother-in-law a Mrs. Elizabeth Ann Duncan, had threatened her on multiple occasions since Olga had married Frank Duncan. In her letters home, Olga said that Mrs. Duncan had an uncanny hold over her son, which had led to constant quarrels between the newlyweds, and they had separated just three weeks after getting married. Frank had returned to live with his mother. Their daughter was upset about the situation, but told her parents not to worry about her because she was looking forward to having her baby and a happy future despite her marital woes. But now she was missing. So while Olga's parents headed to Santa Barbara to aid in the search for their pregnant daughter, Santa Barbara detectives decided they needed to look into Mrs. Elizabeth Duncan and her son, Frank. Elizabeth Ann Duncan was born Hazel Lucille Sinclara Nye on April 16, 1904 in Kansas City, Missouri. One of four children, she quit school in the fourth grade and left home at 14. 
married twice before her 15th birthday, Elizabeth eventually settled in San Francisco, where she continued to attract the attention of other men she would eventually marry and scam out of money. In 1928, she married a traveling salesman named Frank Lowe. And four months later, Frank Patrick Lowe Jr. was born. Frankie, as she affectionately called him, was her fourth child. But the first three, two daughters and a son, lived with one of her previous husbands. Four years later, in 1932, she married a man named Frank Duncan and changed young Frankie's last name. That same year, she gave birth to a daughter, Patricia Duncan. After several more failed marriages and the sudden death of her 16-year-old daughter, Patricia, from a cerebral hemorrhage, Elizabeth moved to Santa Barbara in 1954 with her then 26-year-old son, Frankie. Elizabeth had worked hard doing whatever she needed to do to support him through college and law school. She was very proud of him because he had achieved the success and respectability she never could. Frankie was her world. But a few years later, in November of 1957, Frank decided that it was time to strike out on his own and finally move out of his mother's home. After all, he was a good-looking, successful young lawyer, and he needed to live his own life. Elizabeth was devastated by Frank's declaration of independence. How could he leave her? She begged him to stay, but when that didn't work, she overdosed on sleeping pills and was rushed to the hospital. It was November 6th, 1957, the night before Frank's 29th birthday. The dutiful son stayed by his mother's side while she recovered from her attempted suicide, and he promised to continue living with her. During her recovery in hospital, Elizabeth Duncan was attended by an attractive 29-year-old nurse named Olga Kupizik. Frank got to know the young Canadian nurse and was soon smitten. Frank and Olga began dating, and Elizabeth took it badly. She called Olga every day, telling her to leave her Frankie alone. At one point, desperate to know where Frank was, Elizabeth snuck into Olga's apartment while Olga was at work. She wanted to see if any of Frank's clothes were there. On her way out of the building, it was later reported that she told the landlady, quote, She is not going to have him. I will kill her if it's the last thing I do, end quote. But Elizabeth couldn't stop the blossoming romance between Frank and Olga and was furious when she found out that they had secretly married on June 20th, 1958. She declared that she would never allow the couple to live together, but Olga was already pregnant. Elizabeth bombarded the newlyweds 
with threatening phone calls and showing up unannounced at their door. She tore up Frank's baby pictures and demanded that he return to live with her. Three weeks after his wedding, Frank relented and moved back to his mother's. But he would sneak away to visit Olga at her apartment a few nights a week. Elizabeth was still obsessed with losing Frank to his new wife, so she came up with another plan to destroy their marriage. In August 1958, two months after Frank and Olga had wed, Elizabeth talked an ex-con named Ralph Winterstein into portraying Frank in a fraudulent scheme to get her son's marriage annulled. Elizabeth and Ralph, portraying Olga and Frank, presented themselves at a hearing in which they said they had not lived together as husband and wife and had no intentions of doing so. The unhappy couple were granted an annulment. Elizabeth then began telling people that Frank and Olga weren't legally married. She returned to Olga's apartment and told the landlady that her son and Olga were living in sin, something frowned upon in respectable society in 1958. But when the landlady challenged her, Elizabeth snapped. All you have to do is check with Ventura County. The marriage has been annulled, she said. Three months later, when Olga disappeared, the landlady told the police about her strange encounters with Mrs. Duncan. She also told local reporters that Olga was deathly afraid of her mother-in-law. Hearing that Elizabeth Duncan was telling people her son's marriage had been annulled, the police quickly discovered that the annulment was a fraud perpetrated by Elizabeth Duncan and a mystery man. She was promptly arrested on charges of bribing a witness to influence testimony, falsifying a legal paper, and forgery with intent to defraud. A week later, she appeared in court, represented by her dutiful son, Frank. In fact, the two walked into the courtroom together, hand in hand. Frank argued to have his mother's bail reduced from 50000 to 5000 But neither of them could come up with the cash, so Elizabeth was stuck in the county jail while the police continued to investigate the disappearance of her daughter-in-law. Since her arrest, the police had discovered many other interesting facts about the older Mrs. Duncan. The 54-year-old woman had been married at least a dozen times, sometimes moving on to the next husband before divorcing the last one. An undercover police in San Francisco had arrested a Betty Duncan Cogbill in 1953, working as a madame in an illegal brothel. The petite, gray-haired lady had a colorful past, including a criminal record. But, regardless of any of her previous transgressions, Frankie Duncan was standing by his mother. After their court appearance, he told reporters 
that he had no insight into why his mother had taken the drastic measure of faking an annulment of his marriage. But he was certain she had nothing to do with his wife's disappearance. I know her, and she would not lie, said Frank. He then stated that the Santa Barbara and Ventura County authorities needed to put up or shut up with their insinuations that his mother had anything to do with the mysterious disappearance of his wife. He wanted to take his mother home. But while Elizabeth Duncan remained in jail on fraud charges, the police soon announced two arrests in connection with the disappearance of Olga Duncan. Augustine Gus Baldonado and Louise Moya were both small-time criminals with extensive arrest records for theft and drug charges. The police had uncovered an unusual link between the two men and the elder, Mrs. Duncan. And they had also found what they believed to be the car that had been used in the presumed abduction of Olga Duncan. The car belonged to a girlfriend of Baldonado's, who told police that he had rented it from her on the night of November 16th. But when he returned it the following day, the back seat covers had been removed. On December 19, 1958, one month after the disappearance of her pregnant daughter-in-law, Elizabeth Duncan was formally charged with conspiracy to kidnap and murder Olga Duncan. Louise Moya and Gus Baldonado were also charged. Bail was set at $100,000 each, approximately $1 million today. Two days later, on December 21st, the police made a public appeal to help them find Olga Duncan's body. But the appeal turned out to be unnecessary when Gus Baldonado finally confessed to murdering Olga and said he would take the police to where he and Louise Moya had buried her. 19 miles north of Ventura City, the police uncovered Olga's remains in a shallow grave at the bottom of a 20-foot embankment. Still wearing her pajamas and bathrobe, the expectant mother had been covered in only six inches of dirt. A later autopsy would determine that she had been pistol-whipped and strangled, but was likely still alive when she was buried. After Olga's body was recovered, Louise Moya eventually confessed his part in the slain, first to a priest and then to the police. Elizabeth Duncan, however, was adamant that she had nothing to do with her daughter-in-law's murder and said that Baldonado and Moya had been trying to blackmail her. In late December of 1958, while most people in Santa Barbara were finishing their last-minute Christmas shopping, a grand jury was convened to determine if there was enough evidence to move forward with murder indictments against Elizabeth Duncan and her two co-accused. 
the police had done their homework on Mrs. Duncan. And according to their investigation, she had approached at least four other people with diabolical plans to kill Olga. First to testify in front of the grand jury was a good friend and neighbor of Elizabeth's. 84-year-old Emma Short stated that she had first heard about Olga when Elizabeth was confined to the hospital after taking an overdose of sleeping pills. According to Mrs. Short, Elizabeth was aware of the budding romance between the pretty nurse and her son, but Frank had promised he would never marry Olga. After Elizabeth discovered that Frank had broken his promise, she told Mrs. Short that she would make sure that Frank never lived with his wife. I will kill her first, destroy her, said Elizabeth to her friend. Then, according to the frail octogenarian, Elizabeth Duncan asked her to lure Olga to her apartment where Elizabeth would be hiding in a closet. Once Olga was sitting down, Elizabeth would strangle her from behind and throw acid in her eyes. Then Elizabeth said she would pull Olga's hair out and hang her in the closet overnight. The next day, she would put a stone around her neck and throw her into the water. In response to her friend's disturbing request, Mrs. Short told Elizabeth that her plan just wasn't possible. I told her I didn't want a dead body in my apartment overnight, said the elderly lady. I thought she had gone crazy. When asked to describe the relationship between Elizabeth Duncan and her son, Emma Short said that Frank often called his mother Doll, and she'd heard him promise many times, I'll never leave you. And while no one had mentioned the possibility of an incestuous relationship directly, Emma Short was asked about the sleeping arrangements in the apartment shared by Frank and his mother before and after his marriage. She told the grand jury that she had seen Frank lying on his mother's bed on different occasions. Liar, yelled Elizabeth Duncan, jumping from her seat. Her friend's comments had clearly touched a raw nerve. When asked if she had ever mentioned any of her conversations with Elizabeth to Frank, Emma Short said she did not like Frank Duncan and therefore had never approached him about his mother's plans to harm Olga. Another woman named Diane Romero also came forward to testify to the grand jury about her conversations with Elizabeth Duncan regarding Olga. Romero first met Elizabeth while Frank was defending her husband, Rudolph Romero, on a drug possession charge. Diane said that Elizabeth Duncan talked incessantly about her hatred for Olga and how much she wanted to get rid of her. Finally, one day, Elizabeth asked Diane Romero to buy her some lye, which she said she planned to use on Olga. She said she was going to put Olga in the bathtub and pour lye all over her 
so that no one would recognize her. Then, according to Diane Romero, Elizabeth approached her husband, Rudolph, to get rid of Olga. She offered him $1,500, and when he said he wasn't interested, she kept raising the price. Rudolph Romero later cooperated his wife's testimony. The next witness was Mrs. Barbara Reed, a 26-year-old waitress at the Blue Onion Restaurant in Santa Barbara. She had known Elizabeth for 10 years, as she had been a friend of Elizabeth's daughter, Patricia, who had died when she was 16. Barbara Reed testified that in August of 1958, Elizabeth told her that Olga had become pregnant by another man. She insisted it couldn't be Frank's, because he'd had mumps as a kid and was, according to his mother, impotent. She asked if Barbara would help get Olga out of the way because she was interfering with Frank's future. Mrs. Duncan wanted Reed to go to Olga's apartment and throw acid in her face. Elizabeth would hide behind Reed, and as soon as Olga had a face full of acid, she would throw a blanket over her, drag her out to the car, drive her up to the mountains, and push her over a cliff. Reed was offered $1,500 for her troubles. Barbara Reed was terrified by what Elizabeth was suggesting, but she knew it wasn't just ramblings of a crazy mother-in-law. Elizabeth was serious in her desire to get rid of Olga. Barbara was afraid of what would happen if she said no, so she told Elizabeth that she would think about the offer. But the following day, Reed phoned Frank Duncan and asked him to meet her at the restaurant she worked at. Reed told Frank that his mother wanted Olga dead. She suggested that Frank take the threat seriously and get his pregnant wife out of town right away. She needed to be protected. Frank reluctantly agreed with Barbara and said he would do what he could. The final witness to appear before the grand jury was Frank Duncan himself. He revealed that he had a loving relationship with his mother and she had always been kind and thoughtful towards him and others. She relied on him and didn't want him to marry at all, ever. So, according to Frank, she went crazy when she found out he had married Olga. She purchased a gun and threatened to kill herself. Frank went on to describe his living arrangements following his marriage. He said that he lived part of the time with his mother and part of the time with Olga. After the newlyweds moved to the Garden Street Apartments, he said he went home to his mother's each night. When he was asked why he didn't stay with Olga continuously, he said that he and his wife had decided he would stay with his mother until shortly before the baby arrived. According to what Frank told the police, the last time he had seen his wife was on November 7th, the morning of his 30th birthday, and 10 days before she went missing. 
he recalled the last thing she had said to him. Frank, when are you coming back? The testimony given during the grand jury hearing lasted for seven hours, but the jury only took 15 minutes to announce their decision. Elizabeth Ann Duncan and her co-conspirators, Louise Moya and Gus Baldonado, were formally indicted on charges of kidnapping and first-degree murder in the slaying of Olga Duncan. Knowing they faced the death penalty if convicted, all three defendants immediately entered pleas of not guilty by reason of insanity. Later, on the same day, 30-year-old Olga Duncan and her unborn child, a daughter, were cremated at the Ivy Lawn Cemetery in Ventura, California. A small, somber ceremony was attended by her grief-stricken parents and some of her nursing colleagues. Her husband, Frank, was not in attendance, as he had spent the day at his mother's side. Olga's ashes would go unclaimed until they were eventually shipped back to her family in Manitoba. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volur XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. 
Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. In February 1959, the trial of Elizabeth Ann Duncan began in Ventura, California. It was one of the most sensational trials the seaside town had ever experienced. Spectators began lining up before dawn, hoping to nab a spot inside the 99-seat courtroom, and places in line were being sold for five bucks a pop. Hamburgers and hot dogs were 50 cents apiece for those craving a snack before they sat through the murder trial. The local press had been running front-page stories about the twisted murder-for-hire plot and public sentiment towards Mrs. Duncan and her co-accused was not favorable. Jeers of Mama's Boy and Frankie greeted Frank Duncan as he made his way through the crowds every morning. Inside, Elizabeth Duncan sat stoically beside her lawyer, S. Ward Sullivan. She clutched rosary beads in her hand, even though she wasn't Roman Catholic. One of the most difficult tasks at the start of the trial was to find jurors who could be fair and impartial. During their interviews, many of the prospective jurors revealed that they had already made up their minds and felt that the defendant was guilty. It took five days to select an impartial jury of eight women and four men. As the trial got underway, District Attorney Roy Gustafson of Ventura County laid out the murder scheme, saying that Mrs. Duncan was intensely jealous of her pretty daughter-in-law and wanted her out of the way. She tried threats against Olga and even went so far as to have Olga and Frank's marriage fraudulently annulled. But when that didn't work, she decided that the new Mrs. Duncan had to die. The DA described the handsome Frank Duncan as a mama's boy, dominated by a controlling and meddlesome mother who he couldn't say no to. And because he hadn't taken the threats against his pregnant wife seriously, she had been left alone and vulnerable. Over the next four weeks, the jury heard from a parade of witnesses who testified that Elizabeth Duncan had approached them about killing her daughter-in-law. They had all refused her request, but none of them had informed the police. So, Mrs. Duncan continued with her quest to find a killer, and eventually stumbled on two lowlifes who were willing to do anything for money, 21-year-old Louise Moya and 26-year-old Gus Baldonado. When Louise Moya took the stand, he described meeting Elizabeth Duncan through a mutual friend at a cafe in Santa Barbara, where she outlined her desire to get rid of her son's wife. According to Moya, Elizabeth Duncan told him she had acid, rope, and sleeping pills for the job. The pills were to knock her out, the rope to tie her up, 
and the acid to disfigure Olga's face and fingerprints so police would not be able to identify her body. Elizabeth even offered to tag along for the job if they needed her. Elizabeth agreed to pay them $3,000 once the job was done and then another $3,000 within three to six months. The plan Moya and Baldonado eventually came up with was to kidnap Olga and take some of her clothes to make it appear she had gone on vacation. Then they were going to dispose of her body near Tijuana, Mexico. Elizabeth Duncan had pawned one of her many wedding rings to give Moya $175 for expenses. On the evening of November 17, 1958, Moya and Baldonado rented a 1948 four-door Chevrolet from a girlfriend for $25. They drove to Olga's apartment and Moya rang the bell while Baldonado waited in the back seat of the car. When Olga came to the door, Moya told her that Frank was drunk and passed out in his car. Could she help him bring him up to the apartment? Olga accompanied Moya out to the car wearing her pajamas and bathrobe. Seeing a figure lying in the back seat, she reached into the car. At that moment, Moya bashed her over the head hard with a gun, and Baldonado dragged her into the back seat. On the way out of town, Moya and Baldonado realized that the old Chevy they'd rented wasn't up for a trip to Tijuana, as they had originally planned. Moya said they then drove south towards Ventura City. Olga was still screaming in the back seat, so he pulled over. I stopped the car and told Baldonado to give me the pistol, Moya told the hushed courtroom. I gave her a heavy blow on the head, and she passed out. Baldonado then taped her mouth and hands. They drove for a little while longer before stopping on a dark and deserted road. Moya and Baldonado then dragged Olga out of the car and down a small embankment. They couldn't shoot her because they'd broken the gun over her head during the beating they'd given her. Instead, they took turns strangling her and hitting her with a rock until Baldonado, who had been an army medic, decided that she was dead. The hired hitmen had neglected to bring shovels, so they dug a shallow grave in the soft silt near a drainage ditch with their bare hands. Then they buried Olga and her unborn baby. Olga was still wearing the gold wedding band that Frank had given her. It was a pretty good place to bury her, said Moya matter-of-factly. We didn't think she would be found. The county coroner later determined that Olga had not been dead when she was buried. The beatings hadn't killed Olga, and neither had the attempted strangulation. Olga was unconscious, but alive when Moya and Baldonado covered her in dirt. She had suffocated to death. After they buried Olga, 
the two men returned to Santa Barbara. They removed the bloodied upholstery in the back seat of the car and destroyed all of their clothing. Then they went to see Mrs. Duncan to collect their payment. But she informed them that she couldn't get all of the money. She owed them 6000 but she only gave them 360 Asked if he had anything else to say, Louise Moya told the court that he did not know Olga Duncan was pregnant when they murdered her. Mrs. Duncan had neglected to tell them that when she hired them. The father of three young children said if he had known, he would not have gone through with it. On March the 5th, Elizabeth Duncan finally took the stand in her own defense. The diminutive middle-aged woman with gray hair tucked neatly into a bun and piercing blue eyes looked more like a sweet grandmother and not the cold-blooded murderer as she was accused of being. On the stand, Elizabeth readily admitted that she did not want Frank living with Olga. But she said that the only kidnapping plot she ever came up with was to kidnap her son Frank. She felt that if she got him away from Olga, he'd snap to his senses. She had also bought a gun that she planned to use on herself. I just didn't want to lose Frankie, she said, while dabbing at her tear-filled eyes. But while she was afraid her favorite son would leave her, she denied ever threatening Olga or having anything to do with her murder. She told the court that her co-accused, Moya and Baldonado, were blackmailing her, saying they would kill her and Frank if she didn't pay them. According to her, the two Mexicans had a grudge against Frank because he had put one of their friends in jail. I was scared to death of those men, she testified. But while portraying herself as a weak woman, afraid of two unsavory characters, the prosecutor reminded Mrs. Duncan that she too had a rather unusual past. Solicitation for prostitution, keeping a brothel, adultery, extortion, defrauding multiple landlords, forgery, grand theft, issuing bad checks, and bigamy, just to name a few charges on her extensive and lengthy rap sheet. Unfazed, Elizabeth didn't seem too concerned about any of her prior run-ins with the law. But she did admit that she had been married at least a dozen times and had failed to get an annulment or divorce several times before remarrying. While she acknowledged a few of her husbands, she said she couldn't recall all of them. I don't know why I married them, she said, because after I got them, I didn't want them. The DA also revealed that she had three other children besides Frank. When asked if she loved Frank more than her other children, she replied, yes. When asked if she and Frank had ever slept together in the same bed, Mrs. Duncan denied it, saying her relationship with Frank 
was only one of love and devotion. The final witness to take the stand during the sensational trial was the object of Elizabeth's love and devotion, her darling son, Frankie. Frank Duncan described meeting Olga when she was caring for his mother at St. Francis Hospital. Six months later, they married when they found out Olga was expecting a baby. Frank told the court that his mother was hysterical when he returned to her home the morning after his wedding. She was crying in uncontrollable hysteria, said Duncan. A few days later, she purchased a gun and told Frank she was going to use it on herself if he didn't return home to her. Frank succumbed to his mother's threats once again and left his pregnant wife. He then described how he went back and forth like a yo-yo between his wife and his mother, trying to appease both women in his life. Mother was always proud of me, Duncan said. I was the apple of her eye, and she did not want to lose me. He admitted that the two women did not get along, but he did not believe his mother would have arranged to have Olga killed. I can never recall mother doing anything cruel, said Frank. She couldn't even hurt an animal. When questioned about his current circumstances, Frank told the court that he had moved to Los Angeles just 10 days after Olga went missing. And now, four months later, he had already remarried. Frank Duncan's testimony ended the four-week trial in which 60 prosecution witnesses had painted a damning portrait of his mother, a woman so consumed with intense hatred for her daughter-in-law and extreme love for her son that she resorted to murder to keep them apart. In his closing statements, the district attorney had harsh words for Frank Duncan. What is he, a man or a mouse? The lawyer asked the jury. He is a spineless jellyfish, he added. The district attorney accused the young lawyer of knowing that his mother had orchestrated the murder of his pregnant wife. Did Frank ever really care about Olga, he asked? Because the police had discovered that just days after his wife went missing, he had been on a date with another woman in San Francisco. Forever protective of her Frankie, Elizabeth Duncan rose in her seat, yelling, son of a bitch, to the prosecutor. It was a perfect ending to a trial that the district attorney said proved beyond any doubt that Elizabeth Duncan was responsible for the brutal death of her daughter-in-law. Pointing directly at the defendant, the lawyer asked the jury, have you ever seen anybody who showed less remorse or less regret over the death of someone with all her preening, smiling, laughing, and giggling? Does she show any concern for the victim? No, because she's glad Olga is gone. 
The prosecutor then distributed disturbing and graphic pictures of a pregnant Olga Duncan that showed the state of her badly beaten body lying in a shallow grave. This is the consequence of this beautiful woman crossing paths with Elizabeth Duncan, he said. Please, for the sake of California, return a verdict of guilty, he asked the jury. On March 16, 1959, after only four hours and 51 minutes of deliberation, Elizabeth Duncan was found guilty of first-degree murder in the death of Olga Duncan. With her son Frank standing beside her, she showed no emotion when the verdict was read. Don't worry too much, she said to her son before being escorted out of the courtroom in handcuffs. One week later, Elizabeth Duncan was back in court for sentencing. On reviewing her insanity plea, the judge referred to reports from two court-appointed psychiatrists who stated that Mrs. Duncan was a maladjusted, impulsive, egocentric psychopath. She has been a severe problem to herself and society for many years, noted one of the psychiatrists. But she was sane. One of Elizabeth's many former husbands also testified, stating that he feared for his life after discovering his bride of only a few months had tried to hire someone to throw acid into his face. For the first and only time in his long legal career, 83-year-old Superior Court Judge Charles F. Blackstock sentenced the convicted murderer to death. Elizabeth Duncan would die in California's gas chamber. Louise Moya and Augustine Baldonado were also convicted of first-degree murder and were found to be sane. All three executions would go ahead. After his mother was sentenced to death, Frank Duncan continued to support her and worked full-time on appealing her sentence. I don't think my mother ever intended that my wife should be murdered, he said. It was just unfortunate that she got mixed up with such mentally deficient people. On the morning of August 8, 1962, 58-year-old Elizabeth Ann Duncan was escorted into the gas chamber at San Quentin State Prison. After appealing her conviction and receiving two stays of execution, Governor Edmund G. Brown refused clemency and the California State Supreme Court ordered her execution to go ahead. Scanning the faces of the 57 witnesses present, the gaunt and aged woman was only looking for one person. Elizabeth Duncan's last recorded words were said to have been, Where's Frank? 
I want to see my son. But Frank Duncan was not present at his mother's execution and apparently never claimed her body. But he was working with a Hollywood producer on a movie about his mother's most unusual life. Elizabeth Duncan was the fourth and last woman to be executed in the state of California. On the same day, Louise Moya and Augustine Baldonado, who had been paid $360 to kill Olga Duncan and her unborn child, were executed together. At 92, Frank Duncan continues to maintain a law practice in Los Angeles. This is a Story Hunter Productions podcast, written and produced by Catherine Fogarty. Audio production is by Daniel Borgers at Borgers Music. Visit us at storyhunterpodcast.com and sign up for our newsletter to get more information and updates about new podcasts. And check us out on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. If you enjoyed this story and others, please subscribe on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcast app and feel free to leave us a review. We appreciate you listening. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health-monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinarian developed and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.